Uh, we're going to catch up with James Burridge. Uh, it's the eve of the 2023 instalment of the Six Nations. It's incredibly important as it's World Cup year, as we've said. And it's great to bring in BBC commentator James Burridge. G'day, James. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Very well. Um, three interesting games for all different reasons. Uh, I just thought we'd pick our way through them uh, one by one. James Wales Island, the big one for us is... Warren Gatlin's back, and he's coaching the team that undid the All Blacks. So this is a great game to start the Six Nations off with. Extraordinary game when you consider that we just don't know how Gatlin's Wales are going to fire. He's got a bit of a dad's army of a team, if we're being honest. <laughs> um, but, you know, do not write off what Gatlin can do. And, and that is what all of Wales are hoping, uh, that you know, Wayne, Wayne Pivak was unlucky, uh, but can Gatlin bring back, return a bit of that magic, a bit, a bit of that stardust, uh, try and ignite a Welsh team at home. I think it's important Wales start at home. I think if that had been in Dublin, it would have been a very different uh, set of circumstances for Wales. They, they have to win. Wales absolutely have to win, whether they will or not, against the best team in the world right now is another thing. And this is the, the great challenge for Ireland because they got so close. Um, uh, last year, and they've con- you know, continued to to really test the world's best teams and beat them. They're you know, the number ones for a reason. I think the really big thing for me in Ireland is if Sexton gets injured, if for some reason he's missing, how do they fire without him? And frankly, that's been the big question about Ireland. I, you know, Farrell has done a fantastic job, but if they don't have Sexton at ten, how do they fare? Can Ireland get better? Is there improvement in them? I thought they were phenomenal uh, in 2022. I think it it really depends. I mean, I talked about Sexton there. For me, Ty Furlong is just as in, just as important. Mm. He's actually been ruled out against Wales um, and and been replaced by Finley Beelham. So it's players like that. I sometimes feel when you look at that the the eight, the set piece eight in all its glory, um, it can be devastating. But you know, for me, when I've watched Irish provinces down the years on the Irish team, the breakdown is where they thrive. Um, and I think if they if they can keep that level of intensity at the breakdown, they're an extremely difficult nut to crack. Um, can they get better? Um, I think their defence, if they can shut out teams more, I think if they can turn from defence into attack a little bit better. But to be honest, when you look at the Six Nations prior to the, you know, the way the tournament starts, the two best teams in the tournament at the moment are Ireland and France. Now, the question is, which one is one of them going to take a dip? You know, France are being quite lucky that they haven't lost. They've been in many close games and haven't lost them. They're due a defeat, many people think, up here. And I think it'll be interesting if Ireland lose to Wales, which I don't think they will, but if they will, how does that affect them? How does it affect Wales too, before we leave that game and we mentioned Gatlin's back, how patient will the Welsh fans be? Uh, uh, is there is there a, a realistic expectation, do you feel, in the Valleys that Wales should and, and will win against Ireland or are they prepared to give Gats just a little bit more time? Well, I, I think they've just got to, they've got to take what they've got now it's too it's too close before a world cup i think the really interesting thing about gatland was the fact that he was appointed not just for the world cup but beyond that and it's a bit like when gatland's been in charge in the past 
what is the biggest priority? Is it being competitive in the Six Nations or is it giving the World Cup a really good a really good shot? I think the other interesting thing about Wales Ireland is I'd expect Ireland to have a lot of the ball and Wales just to have to be relentless in defence and feed off scraps. Mm. Because Ireland Ireland when they have possession they're not they're not a team under Farrell at the moment who likes to play without the ball. <laughs> they like to have the ball and hold on to it and really penalise teams and put them under a great deal of pressure. And that Welsh team has just their defence has got to be so strong. It's got to be relentless. We talk about the breakdown. Um, you know, you look at the back three for, for Wales. You've got Morgan, you've got Tipperick, you've got um, Falatau, and for Ireland you've got Omani, you've got Van der Fleer, World Player of the Year, you've got you got Doris. You know, that back three breakdown is absolutely critical. And if Wales can't snuff that out early on and, and play the long game and take the game to 70, 75 minutes, you know, that they're going to be in real, real trouble. Um, and they need to be absolutely resolute in defence. Oh, I can't wait for that game. Um, I think this is the Six Nations I've looked forward to the most in, in recent memory, actually. Game two... Uh, doubles as a Six Nations game in a Calcutta Cup. Uh, fierce rivalry, England-Scotland, and not just in rugby. Interestingly, Scotland have won the last two games against England, and they also, England, welcome in a new coach in Steve Borthwick. Yeah, it's a shocking record for England, isn't it? And <laughs> and I think that's a big that's a big test for Scotland is whether they can believe that whether they believe they can win. And I think when you look at the fact that Borthwick is now back in charge as, as the Supremo overtaking Eddie Jones now, um, whenever a coach is changed, there's always a change in the mood and the mindset, isn't it, of the team. There's always a, an, an uptick in performance. And that's certainly what the players have been saying um, this week, like Velis Genge and many others have been saying, listen, in many ways, it, you know, it wouldn't have really mattered who they appointed. There would have been a bit of a sea change in the camp. Um, you know, fresh perspective, a fresh pair of eyes. And I think the really interesting, there are several interesting things about the Borthwick appointment. But for me, one of the biggest is that with Eddie, it was the Eddie Jones show. You know, there was no one really else in town. We would have had so many grenades thrown by Eddie out in the press this week about Scotland, about the crowd, about the weather, about the media, um, diversion tactics to take a pressure off a player or put pressure on a player. With Borthwick, it's about re-engaging the crowd, but it's not just about him. It's him and Kevin Sinfield. It's the two of them. They are a double act. Sinfield, an absolute hero over here, not just as a rugby league man, but for everything he's done for MND up here and for Rob Burrows, you know, the tragedy for Doddy Weir. And, mm. and I don't know if you guys have been following it, but, but Kevin Sinfield has just been running marathon after marathon after marathon and been raising millions of pounds for the MND foundations up here. And just imagine how those players feel when Kevin Sinfield walks through the door and you just see this immense human being. Mm. You want to go to the line for him. You want to impress him. You want to play for him. Uh, and I just find, I would just imagine that for those England players, he's one of the most inspiring players you could have in your changing room. Add to that, you've got Nick Evans, one of the most creative, dynamic, fun coaches in English rugby right now. So it's going to be fascinating to see how they fare. Steve Borthwick has made um, a bit of a ripple low. No Tuilangi. Um, it's been a long time that, not that he's always been an automatic selection, or has he? And, and, and did this selection surprise you? I think it's 
it's, I'm glad in many ways because I think England have relied on the power uh, and physicality of Tuolangi to get them over the gain line come what may. But I think that, you know, take nothing away from this axis that you've now got playing for England. Marchant is about pace. He's about agility. He's about athleticism, about England being able to react quickly and just not rely on the bish-bash-bosh of Tuolangi. Um, and I think when you're looking for England want to be mobile I think they want to move Scotland left to right and you look at it's not just uh, marching I think you've got to look at the new boy on the wing and Ollie Hassel-Collins who's really worked on his game he's incredibly quick um, his form for London Irish has been fantastic and actually I find that one of the best things about this selection is that Borthwick has chosen on form um, you know he could have gone for the likes of Jack Noel and Johnny May they're not even in the squad. Tuolangi's not even in the 23. Mm. You know, I think as, as England fans, they want to see the best players currently in the Premiership and the English playingship, Premiership playing for their country and, and not on reputation. And if Borswick does that, then I don't think there's gonna, he's going to have too many critics. Pretty tall order for um, Italy going up against France, albeit they are at home. And albeit Italy have won five of their last seven international test matches, um, including Wales, including Australia. Is this the best Italy we've seen for a while? I think Italy need momentum, don't they? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, what Kieran's managing, managed to do, it's about building belief. It's about building momentum. They've got a brutally difficult. Again, I think it, the fascinating thing about um, about the Six Nations is who you start with. And, you know, I think if, if Italy, say, for instance, had started with Wales or Scotland, uh, I'm not doing down the Welsh or the Scots whilst I say this, however. <laughs> but, you know, if, if they had done that, it would, have, it would have made a massive, a massive difference because I think it would have given, they would have given themselves a chance. You know, they go all the way to, to Cardiff and win. They would have Wales at home opening game that would have done wonders for their confidence and their self-belief. But taking on the French first up, that's a tall order. Um, It's really interesting. I I think Italy have got a huge opportunity to, for me, when I've been lucky enough to be in in Rome and commentate on matches, they've had the crowd with them. And the great sadness about Italy when they were on that losing run is that the crowd, you know, the stadio just wasn't full. Now that Rome will be full for their home game because they know they can believe in a team who have the ability to create an upset and, and that, that's the magical part of it. And of course, um, before we go, talking to James Burridge, BBC commentator on the Six Nations, it looks like a, a collision course that France and Ireland are vying for the number one spot on the podium. It's hard to pick who's, who's better going into this because there's good spoilers in the Six Nations in Wales and in England, isn't there? Absolutely, Mark. Totally agree with you. And I think that, you know, the key match many people will look at is Saturday, 11th of February, Ireland and Dublin against France. That'll be a mouth-watering game. Um, at, but, you know, there are so many different stories. And, and you, you, you kind of alluded to it earlier. This is the Six Nations we can get really excited about. Uh, new coaches in Gatland, new coaches in Borthwick. And we've got, you know, two, Ireland and France are two best two of the best teams in the world right now. We have no idea how these sides are going to play. Can Ireland play with that weight of responsibility? Can France kind of... France have been on this ridiculous run. You know, in the autumn, they very nearly came unstuck several times, but they managed to find a win. If one of these sides lose, 
uh, how do they bounce back from that? And you know, if you look at the run, England have got a pretty good start. You know, if they beat Scotland, they've then got Italy, and then they then travel to Cardiff. Uh, and that England-Wales game in Cardiff, I mean, there are no better places in sport than the Millennium Stadium, roof closed, uh, Saturday night in Cardiff, <laughs> uh, England-Wales, Wales-England. It, it's probably one of the best atmospheres you will ever see in live sport. And the, the, the Welsh just put on an incredible um, incredible night. It's not just the stadium that's bouncing. The entire central Cardiff is just this concophony of noise. Um, and if England can overcome that, then suddenly they the self belief grows in them, and you know, the Eddie Jones era is almost completely forgotten about. You've, you've just added another um, item to my sporting bucket list: England, Wales, <laughs> and Cardiff. Sounds fantastic. Actually, one last thing: you've just brought up Eddie Jones. What what was the news around? Or what was the reaction in the UK? to Eddie um, almost immediately being appointed to the Wallabies job because we didn't hear much from the England side. It was all um, Australia and New Zealand because they sacked one of our best coaches and Dave Rennie in favour of the evil professor Eddie Jones. Was there any fallout or any discussion that England let Eddie go straight into Australia? The hilarity of it, if you're being a neutral, was that it happened about an hour before England appointed Borthwick (laughs) (laughs) and announced announced his Six Nations squad, sorry. He announced it literally, we were there for the Six Nations unveiling or it was just being announced, we were waiting for it and then literally Eddie Jones was announced one hour before. And so Eddie has this wonderful way of attracting headlines. I think the shock, I think it was about, I don't think we thought that Australia would sack Dave Rennie. But it was on the cards. If it wasn't going to be now, it was always going to probably be post-World Cup. I think what we don't know is what the um, redundancy clause was, whether there was there should have been or not a clause. There obviously wasn't. Should there be a clause in the contract from the RFU which said, OK, fine, we'll pay you off, but for God's sake, don't go and join Australia, New Zealand or South Africa. <laughs> and that's exactly what he's gone and done. Um, but, I, I, you know, are we surprised? Nothing really surprises us. It doesn't surprise me. And actually, when you look at it, it was, I think what surprised us was that they sacked Dave Rennie. I think we always felt that someday or other, Eddie Jones would be back with Australia. Mm, yeah, it sort of had that air of inevitability. I was just surprised it happened so soon myself, along with you. All right, James, uh, really love chatting the Six Nations with you. We'll roll up our sleeves. I'm going to watch every single game of the Six Nations this year. I, I just won't be able to escape it. It's a, it's a wonderful tournament, and it's an absolute appetiser for the World Cup this year. I appreciate your input today, sir, and uh, we'll catch up again.